I am going to tell you a story that a powerful state doesn't want you to know about tens of thousands who have disappeared. Once they get into the hands of the military, they will be tortured brutally. It's a story so dangerous to tell that for some, it's meant ending up on a kill list. She was seen as a dangerous political actor and a threat to Pakistan's security, but she was a local hero. The Kill List, a six-part investigative podcast, available now. Get early access to episodes at cbc.ca slash listen, or by subscribing to the CBC True Crime Premium channel on Apple Podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. 45p tax cut, gone. Corporation tax cut, gone. 20p tax cut, gone. Two-year energy freeze, gone. Tax-free shopping, gone. Economic credibility, gone. And her supposed best friend, the former Chancellor, he's gone as well. They're all gone. So why is she still here? Seven days ago, the Daily Star newspaper in London set up a webcam. On it was a head of lettuce and a picture of Liz Truss. They asked which would last longer. Well, the lettuce won. The last couple of months in UK politics have been a whirlwind. After just 45 days in office, Liz Truss stepped down as prime minister. During that time, the markets crashed because of her plan to aggressively cut taxes to grow the economy. And within a week of trust resigning, the UK already has a new leader. A short time ago, it was announced that Rishi Sunak is set to become Britain's next prime minister. I've just been to Buckingham Palace and accepted His Majesty the King's invitation to form a government in his name. What Rishi Sunak is walking into isn't going to be a walk in the park. Opposition MPs are already calling for a general election. We can't have as a revolving door of chaos um, the next experiment for leader of the Tory party and prime minister. As the UK has been cycling through prime ministers, people are being squeezed by rising costs for pretty much everything. Because of the war in Ukraine, food and energy prices have skyrocketed. The cost of living is going up at a rate that hasn't been seen in 40 years. There was murmurs about energy cost rises. And then when we got the official one that our bills were going to go up to 6500 6, or something approximately, that sum, that's when alarm bells started ringing. And that was just between July and September. This is Sharon Spice, a writer, actor, and youth worker living in London. She's been juggling multiple jobs to pay for those energy bills. £6,500 a year is about $7,500 U.S. dollars, just to keep the heat and lights on. Like, my bills were maybe £20 a week, 20 So, yeah, that's 110 to now way over that. It's got to be at least, what am I paying now? Maybe 30, 40, 50 pounds a week. Wow, so more than double, yeah. almost triple. That's crazy. Yeah, it, it really has. And the thing is, it's affected every single household, including schools, organisations, restaurants are closing. So it's had a real um, negative effect across the board in terms of the UK. Okay. 
Today on the show, we're going to look at the crisis behind the UK's political chaos and at the frustrations that many Brits like Sharon are feeling right now towards their government. I'm Tamara Kandacker, and you're listening to Nothing is Foreign. Sharon, hi. Thanks so much for making the time. No worries. Good afternoon. Thank you. Yeah. So I want to really try to understand what your day-to-day experience has been like recently trying to get by in the UK, Um, you know, even aside from the energy bills. What exactly has made it so stressful? So it's kind of like a squeeze in different directions. So you've got the fuel. So in terms of our petrol, that's been a problem with the price rises of fuel, some of it nearly £2 per litre, some gone over £2 per litre. And we, we could immediately notice that because we're now spending more money on petrol, which means we have less money to do other things. Prices here are ticking up and so is the pain. Another day, another petrol price record. It now costs over £95 to fill an average tank with unleaded, over 100 to fill it with diesel. Costly for all then we have the energy crisis, which I've just talked about, and then we have the high cost of living in terms of consumerism, food, our everyday items that we buy have just rocketed sky high. I mean, I mean, even this week, there's butter, which is quite but a posh butter, is nearly £10, £7.25 for butter. Bread has gone up, pasta is really expensive. Like A lot of things that we used to think were quite cheap have now gone up in price, and it keeps going up. Trouble at the tills. The price of staple foods has soared in recent months, with as many as two in every five Britons now buying less to eat. And for the first time... So the UK isn't unique in seeing higher prices because of the war in Ukraine and supply chain disruptions. Those are global problems. But there are a few factors that experts say are making the situation worse in the UK. For one, a lot of people left the workforce during the pandemic, and those numbers don't seem to be bouncing back. Since the pandemic, hundreds of thousands of people have dropped out of the workplace. They've become economically inactive in the jargon. And that is contributing to a genuine problem. Companies simply cannot fill the vacancies for the jobs the economy requires to grow and recover. Brexit-related immigration controls have also meant fewer workers coming in from the rest of Europe. This has meant companies are having to pay more to retain talent. That's pushing up inflation. Secondly, the pound has been struggling, which pushes up the cost of imports. And last but not least, unlike other European countries, the government decided last year to introduce the biggest tax increases the country's seen since the 90s. All of this while wages have stayed the same. All of these factors combined have made life really unaffordable for people like Sharon. So... Luckily for me, I'm scrimping because I have a job and then I have some part-time hours that I do extra to supplement my salary. So I'm okay, but it's a struggle. But I know there's other people that are not. They're not paying their bills and they're not being able to feed themselves and they're relying on food banks right now and they're working. Mm. And, And what about you? How are you dealing with all of these rising costs? 
So I have just been a bit more prudent with my money. So whereas I used to go out before with my friends, maybe two, three times a week or maybe at the weekend, I don't really do that now. So I will wait for a special occasion, then I will go out, but I won't take it for granted. Um, Cut down on takeaways before I would have takeaways. Don't really do that anymore. So I cook a lot more now. I cook a lot more at home and I bulk cook and I put it in the fridge and then I use it later on during the week. So I'm not eating out and I'm saving money, but I'm not contributed to the economy so like I don't go Costa Coffee no more I don't eat out I'm not going to restaurants so you know I'm kind of like contributing to the slowing of the economy in Mm. a bad way but I wish I wish it wasn't but there's nothing else I can do yeah so the other thing that I've been reading about is people opting not to turn their heat on and just wear a bunch of extra layers or buy blankets just to save on energy costs until it gets really cold. Have you had to do that or has anyone you know? Yeah, a lot of my friends are doing that. They're going to um, well-known branded shops, buying extra layers. They're layering up, um, maybe getting an extra blanket. Um In terms of myself, I haven't had to turn the heating on yet. We've had a couple of odd cold days, but the the cold winter hasn't set in yet. So luckily I haven't had to put my heater on. But I, I, about two years ago, got an electric blanket. So it just warms up my bed before I go in it. So that's what I've been using if it's it's dipped. And that's what I will use. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm not going to not put my heating on. If it gets cold, I'm going to put it on. I don't see the point of working and I can't have my basic necessities. That doesn't make no sense. Sharon is struggling, but she's still managing to have her basic needs met. Many families don't even have that right now. Parents are having to choose between um, energy and food. They're having to choose between transport and school uniform. Christina Adene is campaigner in residence for Bite Back 2030, an organization that works to fight injustice in the food industry. Food prices have gone up so much. Pasta, just pasta, has gone up by 60% in the past year. Rise mm-hmm. of pasta, which is like insane. Christina's only 19, but she's been working for years to get kids better access to free meals at school. I, in 2020, petitioned um, for free school meal students to have access to their provisions um, over the holidays. And that was impacting 1.4 million children at the time. Now... In 2022, we're campaigning for 800,000 children who are living in poverty due to the cost of living crisis, but don't have access um, to free school meals um, for for the eligibility criteria to be extended to them. And we hear stories all the time from our young people. Um, There's a 15-year-old boy called Victor, based in London, who talks about how his family have literally gone days without eating. Wow. and that he, uh, because he can't afford school food, he'll go um, after school to the nearest junk food shop and like get the cheapest option. So, you know, we have a generation of young people that are literally eating the worst food possible um, because they can't afford nutritious food and the government aren't supporting them.
Hey friends, I'm Alameen Abdul Mahmoud. I'm the host of the new podcast, Commotion. If you don't know about us yet, well, we are your daily deep dive into the biggest stories coming out of the world of pop culture, art, and entertainment. And luckily, I'm not going to be doing it alone, okay? I'll be joined by some brilliant culture writers and thoughtful super fans. We're going to have hilarious hot takes. We're going to have vibrant debates. Consider this your invitation to join the group chat. Get in here and join us. Commotion, available weekdays on CBC Listen. In September, one in five families experienced food insecurity. According to the Food Foundation charity, around 10 million adults and 4 million children in the UK have been unable to eat regular meals in the last month. And nearly 8 million people say they're finding it a heavy burden to keep up with their bills, up from about 5 million in 2020 responding to the same survey. Inflation is now at 10%, and it's expected to go up even more if the central bank keeps raising interest rates. Something like hunger in uh, a country like this one, one of the biggest economies in the world, that is a political choice. So I think I I would blame the government um, because the fact that adults aren't making wages that that leaves enough money to spare for them to feed their kids is, is a problem in itself, right? Not paying people well. There are a lot of people in the UK right now who feel like they're not being paid enough especially in the public sector. Rail workers, teachers, nurses, they've all been calling for higher pay to match inflation. Trade union leaders are warning that there might be coordinated strikes this winter to really put pressure on the government to raise wages. I honestly don't think that these people are being heard. Unfortunately, with our, you know, ever-changing political climate, big food Big companies generally just keep being prioritized. Profits and party politics keep being prioritized over health and and child health. Uh, I've been campaigning in this space since I was a kid, since I was a kid on free school meals, you know. Um, And so to now see a new generation of young campaigners fight for this is really heartbreaking. So you said earlier that not acting on this issue is a political choice, which makes me wonder, when you and other campaigners are out there working, what are some misconceptions that come up about people who are struggling with food insecurity? Yeah, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that we uh, are leeching off of, you know, government money and um, we're kind of like beggars in a way like I've I've realized there's there's a there's a notion that um particularly when I was campaigning for it and when I was on free school meals this idea that I or my family were kind of like taking from the government um and particularly being an immigrant like there was there was definitely a lot of that going on um but families are very prideful and families do not like to ask for help. The stigma is insane. Young people feel the stigma. I felt the stigma when I was in school. So it's not like we, uh, you know, kind of, uh, it's not like we want to do this. We we just literally want to survive and live and um, get through winter. And I don't think that's a lot to ask for. I don't think asking for a hot nutritious meal a day is, um, you know, leeching off government money. Doctors in the UK say there's evidence that the cost of living crisis is taking a toll on the public's health. 
that there's been a rise in patients struggling with differences in mood or tiredness, for example, and that when they dig deeper, these issues tend to be tied to their financial situation. And this is something Sharon's been feeling, too. What kind of toll has this been taking on you mentally? I think it's been really, really stressful and I feel like a little bit uncertain. I feel like we're being steered, but we don't know where we're going. Like we're a bit lost. That's how I feel that is basically happening. So every day, I don't know what. In terms of the last couple of weeks, I have not known it to be so chaotic. And still, I think there'll be more turbulence. I don't think today's news in terms of Prime Minister makes any difference whatsoever. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask, you have this new Prime Minister now um, and and Rishi Sunak. What do you think of him? And do you think anything will change given that there's someone new? So I don't think anything will change. And I'll tell you why. Is because right now there's a lot of people that are in good jobs that are struggling. People that are families with both partners working both in good jobs, struggling. And they're the ones with good jobs. Then you've got the working class, the ones that have got their basic job, they're just getting by, but they're good, they're struggling. And then you've got the less well-off, the ones that are on benefits, the ones that can't work, the sick, the disabled. Um, and they are not surviving because the benefit system is not supporting them adequately. And then you have Mr Sunak, who, even when he was doing his hustings, did not come out and see any working-class people, did not go to a food bank, um, and will never have understood hardship. He won't even experience the high cost of living that his <laughs> the country that he's looking after for will experience. Prime Minister, he's had a pretty privileged life thanks to the hard work of his immigrant parents. Sunak made a fortune in business himself and then married the daughter of an Indian IT billionaire. So he's also the richest prime minister imaginable. Now he faces the challenge... So to me, he doesn't relate, so I don't know how he can be in office. I don't know how he can run the government when he will not have no understanding or empathy of what real people are going through right now. Rishi Sunak hasn't said much about his plans once he enters office, but in his inaugural speech, he said that fixing the country's economy would be a priority. I will place economic stability and confidence at the heart of this government's agenda. When Sunak was chancellor, he promised that benefits like universal credit and state pension would go up with inflation, which is what activists have been calling for. But when he was asked about it this week, he wouldn't commit. It's also not clear what's going to happen to people's energy bills in April. That's when a price cap of £2,500 introduced by Liz Truss is set to expire. At that point, bills could go up to around £4,300, almost $5,000 a year. Sunak is the third consecutive Tory prime minister since the party won the last general election in 2019. And the Tories are trailing behind the Labour Party in the polls by huge margins. But for now, he's ruled out an early general election, something Labour has been calling for and that people like Sharon also want to see happen as soon as possible. 
yes, we all want a, a, an election. Well, I checked last night, 56 of the population in the UK, we want an election. He hasn't got no mandate. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't vote for him. We didn't vote for him, nor, we, nor would we have had if we had the opportunity. It's not even just him. We're just tired of this government because this government hasn't done nothing for us in the last 12 years. All they've given us is poverty, austerity. They've, they've changed the laws. They've restricted us. They've suppressed us. There's nothing positive I can say that they've done in the last 12 years. In fact, it just make me poorer and make society poorer. It really just upsets me, to be honest, when I start to think about it really and truly. There has obviously been a lot of focus on the drama in UK Parliament this week. And I wonder, how has it felt for you sitting where you are, dealing with what you're dealing with, to watch all of this unfold and to see the amount of attention that it's getting? Just so embarrassed. I'm just embarrassed. Well, I'm there on social media and I can see all the different countries saying this when we're like actually a laughing stock when, you know, we're the UK and not having no control over it or the government not caring, like putting themselves over politics, over the country, just being selfish and yeah I don't feel good I feel very embarrassed I feel small I feel inadequate and I feel this is why we need um, a change of government like as soon as possible and that's only going to come with a general election and we need one now yeah I, I feel your frustration and I'm sorry thank you so much Sharon I really appreciate this no thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity That's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Our producer is Joyta Shangupta, and our sound designer is Julia Whitman. Our senior producer is Elaine Chow. The executive producer of Nothing is Foreign is Nick McCabe-Locos. Nothing is Foreign is a co-production of CBC News and CBC Podcasts. Our theme music is by Joseph Shabison. If you like this episode, take a second to rate and review us wherever you're listening. It really helps new listeners find the show. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CBC Podcasts. I'm Tamara Kandacker. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you back here next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.